0: Well, good morning church. It's so good to be with you. And if you're a first time guest, I just wanna say thank you for joining us for church this morning. And I'd love to invite you to check us out at Salemheightschurch.org to learn more about who we are and what we have going on at the church during this season. Well, this week you might've received a letter in the mail from our elders sharing with you some of the ways that you can participate in giving and serving in this holiday season. And so we hopefully you've taken the time to read through that letter. And if you didn't get that letter in your mailbox, you can find those details on our church website Homepage, scroll down and you'll find holiday giving opportunities. I'm really excited this morning to also share with you that we do plan to have in person Christmas Eve services this year. Uh, in order to get everybody through that wants to come, we have scheduled services on both December 23rd and 24th at 4 and 6 p.m. We'll be having services both in this room, the auditorium, and up in our chapel. In each location, we'll have a pastor and a worship team to be there live in the room. We're also going to be doing Lord's Supper together, and it's going to be a beautiful time together. You can sign up to attend one of those services starting next Tuesday online through the church website. And if you're not able to join us, we invite you to check out our live stream of the Christmas Eve service on December 24th. Well, this morning we have a great time of worship and we're looking forward to hearing from the word. So join us now as we worship together.
1: Well, good morning Salem Hiders and guests. We welcome you here today. We're so glad that you're joining us for service. I have a scripture I wanna to read to you out of Psalm 95 as we uh, get ready to worship today and hear from God's word. Uh, this Psalm says this, it says, O come and let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He deserves our worship and our praise today. So let's do that together now.
2: Though the nations are rage, kingdoms are rise and fall, there is still one King reigning over
1: all. And so I will not fear, and for this truth.
2: That my God is the agent of day. It's worthy for you.
1: together if we could and father we are so thankful that you love and care about us and that your promises still hold true even today just like we sang about lord we're so thankful that your son is worthy of praise oh come let us adore him christ the lord as we look forward to this season of christmas we remember what you have done for us sending your son the world rejoices and we as well with it. And so we are so thankful for that. We pray that you'd help us now as we hear from your word. May it mold us and shape us into what you want us to be. In Christ's precious name, amen.
3: Well, good morning, Salem Heights. I pray that you are well this morning and that you've enjoyed our time in worship. We're gonna be in Romans chapter 15 this morning. And for three weeks before we uh, get to Christmas uh, and head into our return to the book of Acts, we're gonna spend three weeks right now developing three words, hope and peace and joy. They all come out of this passage in Romans 15, 13 and they come uh, to us in a season where we need hope, we need joy and we need peace. This last week as I was uh, studying for this message, I was deeply impacted by a newspaper article coming out of Japan, where they recognized that in the last month in Japan, there have been more suicide deaths than there have been COVID deaths in all of 2020. The overwhelming sense of our current predicament is so severe that people are taking their life. It's not just in Japan, this is going worldwide, but even in my own extended family, we've had multiple stories of people who are well known to us, who because of the despondency of the season, an overwhelming concern for the future, have given up, taken their lives, given into despondency. USA Today, there was an article where they were actually trying to describe what is necessary for this season. And in that, they were talking to some psychologists who indicated that hope in this season is not just a luxury, it is a necessity. They were pleading with people not to give up on hope, but to return to a sense of hope. And their answer for that Not having a ground for hope, they said. Uh, For most people, hope are like sprinkles on an ice cream. Uh, It's really wonderful, it's there, but many people, they said, don't have sprinkles on their ice cream. Um, They said, how do you get those sprinkles? How do you actually get hope? And their response was, you just reach out for it. You begin to pretend as if it is there. Meditate, um, believe against the circumstances, but you need to reach out after something that may slip through your fingers. Ted, an article on uh, ted.com, a group of artists were asked the question, what does hope look like to you? There were many different uh, responses. One artist, Teo, drew a picture of a lighthouse with arms coming out of it and said that hope is to embrace the uncertainty. And in response to that question of what is hope to you, uh, to you had said, I just believe in man's ingenuity. We're going to find some way to get out of this harsh season. Another artist that gave their pictures was Amber. Amber grew an in, or, uh, drew an individual um, who was hugging a bunch of flowers and was riding on sunshine. The hope that was listed out there had to do more with an experience in a certain day, that there would be more days, there would be experiences yet to come that would be positive. We just need to wait and see. One artist, Danista, actually had hope coming out of a quote from Emily Dickinson. And the quote was, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. It sings a tune without words and never stops at all. That's a great quote, but the question that still invades into the mind of the listener is this. What if I don't have that thing covered in feathers perched inside my soul? Where do I get hope? What is it that I have to do to be able to have this kind of response or to have hope grounded in something that is sure, more sure than my ability to conjure it? Scripture actually gives us that strong Promise. It gives us a place where we can ground our hope. It actually gives us something uh, to hang on to, a hope that invades into darkness, that invades into tough times, grabs a hold of us and pulls us through the harshness. That hope is described in one place in scripture, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and it says this. Now may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaking in the book of Romans, a book that we've spent a little time in in the last few weeks, is reminding them of all of these treasure truths uh, in scripture, He, he reminds them of our sinfulness, but God's grace. He reminds them of our weakness, that we tend to stumble and run away from God, even when we have faith, but he is drawing us back. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He reminds us that even when we are weak, this glorious trail in Romans eight, this promise uh, that he is faithful, even when we're faithless, that as everything around us is overwhelming, that the God who has called us is faithful to not only find us, keep us and secure us, he takes us into eternity. He builds out all of these promises and chapter after chapter is reminding us of these profound truths of the love of God and how it impacts our reality and he ends up here. Now may the God of hope fill you with peace and joy. The question that we have uh, when we hear these words is, what is the biblical view of hope? I'm just gonna give you a thumbnail sketch. I'd encourage you to do some research on your own. But as you look up the word that is translated hope in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we get some beautiful pictures. In the Old Testament, the word that is translated hope is also sometimes translated as waiting. And it's not just waiting, but it's waiting under tension. The situation may create the tension, uh, or there may be a tension that rises in your heart, but you can feel it. It's almost as if a string is being pulled tightly. That waiting under tension for something to snap or waiting under tension for something to pull you from the scenario is still a waiting on God. But in the New Testament, there's a, a fuller color that comes out of those Greek words that are translated hope. And it couples that Old Testament idea with the idea of a confident expectation. Um, It also adds the idea of anticipation or uh, an emotional energy that joins with your confident expectation. It's not just that you know something's gonna happen, but you are actually excited that that thing is about to happen. If we take all of these pictures for the word hope that are used in scripture, I think a good working definition for this morning would be this. Hope is the strong desire, the eager anticipation, and the confident expectation of a future that's guaranteed by God. We know for sure what the future holds because of God's statement, and it causes us to have actually an excitement, an anticipation of those things, but also a great confidence. It is a sure promise because God said it is so. To develop that thought i just want to make a couple of observations about hope and i think you will see these flushed out in this passage first thing i'd have you understand as we study that word hope all the way through the scriptures is that hope is waiting it is not wishing some say when you come into a hard season man i just wish it wasn't so or i wish these things were true or i wish Uh, This political situation was different, or this emotional state was different, or I wish our financial circumstances were different. But it stops at the wishing. They would say, well, I'm hoping things will change. But there's no evidence in their life that that change is forthcoming. Hope in Scripture is actually waiting on something that seems sure. Imagine for a moment that you're actually water skiing. This is a good a uh, picture uh, for us if in this cold season to imagine. But imagine that you're in the water and all of a sudden, like that word waiting under tension, all of a sudden the line that is attached to the boat and comes all the way to your hands becomes tight. In that moment of waiting, that growing tension leads to anticipation. As you begin to feel that line tighten, there's something in you that wells up that knows where I am right now, I'm not always going to be, and I'm about to go where I'm supposed to be. You're going to have also an experience in the process. So as that line gets tighter, as the tension grows, instead of you wilting, instead of becoming more fearful and more overwhelmed, you actually grow in anticipation because something is about to happen. That's the idea in scripture that is presented also imagine once again your water skiing and that growing tension is on the end of the line but you change your posture when you see that line beginning to tighten you crouch down and the same idea is there in scripture where as the tension grows we take a posture of prayer anticipating what God is about to do we get ready for the move of God Hope is waiting, not wishing. But hope also in scripture is based on the activity and character of God. It's not blind. It's not just a blind hope, as some would throw out at the Christian in this season. They say that because in every other scenario that they've witnessed, a hope is a hope against circumstances. It actually is a blind hope that is presented to us in every other scenario that is not the one that is Christian. Because of Christ, we have a hope that is sure. It's not blind. You don't just grab something on faith without any evidence, but it's actually based on the character of God. This is evident actually in this passage. Starting in verse 9, Paul says this. He says, uh, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, it says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will hope in him. Now, something that's interesting in your uh, Bibles, remember that if you have a section that's indented, or in many of your translations, they'll actually put it in bold, and it will get a little bit thicker. It's reminding you that it's giving you a quote from the Old Testament, The assumption when you read that passage is that you actually know the entire context. It should bring an aha moment to your mind. You should read it and go, oh, that's what he's talking about. These are four well-known passages. They would have been read in the synagogue on a regular basis. In fact, they were read during those seasons when they were in Babylon. These were passages that captivated them. And so they could fill in the blanks that Paul was trying to get them to register in their mind. The first one was a quote from Psalm 18, where God makes promises to an individual and fulfills them. He makes promises to David. David is told, you're going to be king. But what happens to David right after he is anointed as king? He has to face giants He encounters Saul. He's run away, not only from his home, but from his people, from everything that is safe. In fact, he is forced to leave the nation that he's supposed to become the king of. He has to go live with the Philistines. He has to go to a separate place because of the situations that surround him. Now, he's been anointed king, and it says in Psalm 18 that he clung to the promises of God despite his circumstances. Was that wise? Well, yeah, God made promises to him, and he fulfilled them. Even though the circumstances looked dire, he clung to the promises, and it was wise to do so. The second quote comes at the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 32, where God made promises not to an individual, but to a nation, and he fulfilled them. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses actually goes through, and he tells them every single thing that will happen to them in the land. You'll follow me with strength. Then you'll fall away. Then you'll come back to me with strength and then you'll fall away and be driven into Babylon. He actually gives them the entire storyline of the rest of the Old Testament scriptures in one chapter. But at the very end, he says, but I'll cause you to return to me. He tells them of a Messiah. He even tells them of the incoming of the Gentiles. And he says, they're gonna be glad because of the news that comes through Israel. He made promises to a nation, told them what would happen and he fulfilled them. He made promises to a man, promises to an individual, but then in Psalm 117, the third quote, he makes promises to all people that he would provide salvation. And in just a few short verses, all of 117 shows Jews and Gentiles, all people in the world rejoicing because of the faithfulness of God, all of them recognizing that he is faithful. Even when their circumstances were dire, God would come through. This is the context Paul gives them. He wraps it up, though, with one more promise. So he made promises to an individual, promises to a nation, promises to all people. But there's one promise left to fulfill. The final quote is from Isaiah chapter 11. It says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. He will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. A cow and the bear will graze their young ones and will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like cattle An infant will play beside a cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse, speaking of Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious." This is the passage that Paul wraps up with. He made promises to a man and he fulfilled them. He made promises to a nation and he fulfilled them. He made promises to the world and he's constantly fulfilling them. But there's one more promise he says that should cause hope to well up inside you. He has promises yet to fulfill. Someday he's making all things new. Someday he's going to return and lead this earth in a way that is filled with peace transformation a world that is so settled we don't recognize it and he says it's a guarantee God has planted this truth in our hearts it's based on the activity of God but also notice that hope is stirred by promises not positivity when you see that trail in scripture and you see these promises that God has made it should cause us to say is that really true Positivity, when people encourage you to just be positive, they're asking you to be positive despite the circumstances. They say you need to be positive even though there's no reason to be positive. But in Scripture, we're called to be positive or to be encouraged because of promises that are sure. There's a reason for that positivity. I want you to understand that positivity fades, but promises remain. Imagine for a moment that there are two women who have been assigned, just for the sake of illustration, uh, to a job at an industrial place. They're working on a line. They've both been assigned the exact same job. One author has uh, highlighted this illustration as a job that would be a menial task. They are to take a widget and put it together. They take one part and they put it together with another part. When they put those two together, they set it on the line. It goes down. Uh, They pick up another piece and they put that piece together with another one. They set it down on the line and it moves its way down. Day after day, this repetitive action is actually given to them as a job. They're both happy to have jobs at the beginning. But now imagine that it's three months in and... uh, Woman A has actually been told, at the end of this year, you'll receive a paycheck, and it's going to equal $24,000. She's thankful for her job. She's thankful for the opportunity to be there. Uh, But as she looks at the day-after-day repetitive nature of this, she actually gets disheartened with the project. Woman B has actually been told, I want you to understand at the end of your year that you're actually going to have $24 million dollars. Those two women are meeting in the break room later on, and woman A looks at woman B and says, man, this job is so menial, so boring, so tedious. I can't stand it. I don't know if I can remain. And woman B is actually saying, I can't believe that this is what we get to do. Isn't it exciting? Every single day we're putting these things together. It seems so possible, so easy to be able to fulfill this task. I can't wait for the end of the year. The experience of one is much different than the experience of the other, and the experience, their emotional response in the moment is due to a promise that has been made. The truths of scripture can actually change even though they were both experiencing the exact same circumstances. The truth of what they would receive shaped their energy and their anticipation, their excitement in the moment. It actually makes one positive. Now, we can't be so crass as to say, that if we just had enough money, all of this would go away. Some have suggested that. The promises of God reach to a deeper place that are both spiritual, that are permanent, that are real, but they speak nonetheless to a promise that God has made that changes our experience. A couple of other thoughts to pack with us as we go, and that is this. Hope, when it's described in scripture, is always considered the best medicine for dark times. If you look in the scriptures at when this word hope is most often used, in the Old Testament, you will find it in the book of Psalms and in the book of Job. The majority of its uses are in those two books. In the New Testament, it's actually found most often in this book of Romans and also in the book of Acts when the church is starting and it seems that they are being driven out of their homes and driven away from everything that is comfort, comfortable, it is hope that rises up. In the book of Romans, Paul is describing these truths that hope will invade on a crusty soul. Somebody who is filled with sin can be transformed by this hope. It's the best medicine for daily uh, life, for the trials that we face. One author was writing about how we typically respond to trials, what we typically offer to people. He said, I hear so many people in my parents' generation say that the reason they talk about their fears and their worries about our country is out of concern and love for their children and their grandchildren's generation. It is a strange way to show us love. As a dad, I would never go into my son's room and tell him how scary and dark it is. And then say, good night. Knowing the darkness will not go away, I want him to focus on what he, that he, on why he does not need to be afraid. I show him his nightlight. I remind him that it will always be on. I check under the bed and in the closet and I reassure him that there are no monsters. But most importantly, I tell him that mommy and daddy are right down the hall. And if he ever needs anything, we will be there. I want to equip him for the darkness. When the scriptures speak of hope, it is God as a good father equipping us for the darkness. He's not telling us things that are false. He's not only pointing out the hardship. What he is doing is in spite of the hardship we're about to face, he says, these are the things you need to know. I'm right down the hall. But a final thought is this hope is a defining mark of a Christian. If we were going to begin to speak to the world about what it is that separates Christianity and our current understanding of the world from what their understanding is going on in the world, Scripture tells us that the defining difference should be that we have a hope. In fact, Peter, when he is talking about one of the ways to reach a troubled world in trying times, he says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. It should register on your face. It should flavor all your activities. It should fill up uh, the way that you speak to people, both online and in person. Hope should fill us up. The real question I have for you is, do you have it? Has your life been filled with hope recently or despair? What would your words say? The scriptures are very plain. If you do not have hope, you don't have to leave this day without it. Scriptures tell us that Christ died, was buried and rose again on the third day, that anyone who puts their faith in Christ not only has a relationship with him, but he says, I'll transform your reality. I've washed away all of your sin, past, present and future. But in addition to that, I have given you a future promise. You will be with me. I'll make all things new. And that promise impacts how you live today. You will walk differently, uh, engage differently, and feel differently as a result of that relationship. Do you want that relationship? If you don't have it, all you have to do is believe. Put your faith in Christ. That Faith will cause hope to rise inside of you. It will cause you to transform your understanding of the season that we are in. While I was studying this passage, um, at the very end, I actually opened a letter that I'd received from one of our senior saints. And inside was this own ornament. And written across the top of this ornament, it was all that was inside uh, of this letter this little ornament that says hope, and at the very bottom of it was the verse that we're studying today, Romans 15, 13. It was as if an exclamation point was being put on the message that I was being led in my heart to prepare. I wrote down uh, at the end of that study that hope is one of the best, most important ornaments that we can display this season. Is that ornament written on your life? Is that hanging from your soul? Is it evident to the people that are around you? It is available and it is a promise of scripture. If you're a believer, we need to trust what God has said. If you're not, you need to cling to the God of the Bible, to Christ, instead of your own opinion. But every single one of us can walk away today with hope. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take us from a place of fear and faithlessness to hope. Help us to be able to look around and not only sense that you are at work, to be able to see your activity in the midst of a dark season, but Father, help us to radiate hope to a world that is in desperate need of something more, something more than just wishing against the circumstances, something more tangible than just trying to manufacture some positivity on their own. Father, I pray that you would help us as we radiate hope, as we register these truths that you've given to believers. I pray, Father, that we would be able to share that message, the truth of the gospel, that Christ has provided this hope for all who believe. Father, help it to register in our lives, help our families to radiate with it. And I pray, Father, you would fill us with opportunities to put that hope on display. We pray that you would help us to handle it well. In Christ's name, amen.